Good morning, church. It's good to be back with you. We've been down in California for a couple weeks working on my father-in-law's home, and that's been an adventure. Uh, John and I have been down there sleeping on the floor, basically. Reese joined us this weekend, this last weekend, and that was really great because uh, it was nice to have um, my wife there with me through those two weeks and to get her help doing stuff to get more done, I guess. Anyway, it's good to be back. We're in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 5. We've just finished chapter 4, but there's a connection between the two chapters, and we'll look at that. Our title this morning is Redeeming the Time. And I just want you to think about that as we move into the message this morning, what it means to redeem the time. It's kind of like this. When I get up late in the morning, and I know I've got to be at church by 9 a.m. for our prayer meeting. And by the way, I really appreciate that this church is a praying church. I thank George for praying for me this morning before the sermon and that we spend a half an hour from 9 to 9.30 just praying for our church and praying for all the needs that we have. And I want to encourage you to join us. We just pray in the little um, annex room there. And we you can come in at any time. You don't have to be there on time. You can be a little bit late. And or join us for the last five minutes or whatever. We had a really good session this morning with earnest praying and tears and God's spirit was there. But when I wake up in the morning, I'm late, Sabbath morning especially, and I'm late. And I need to still make it to prayer meeting by 9 a.m. The way that I redeem the time is I don't spend as much time doing certain things. Like this morning, I didn't really eat very much for breakfast. I had one piece of toast with some nut butter and applesauce, which normally I would eat two or three pieces of toast, some fruit and some other things, I'm redeeming the time. So I don't have as much time to eat breakfast, per, per se. I don't have as much time necessarily to to take care of the dogs. I like to throw the ball for them in the morning for, for a few minutes just to give them some exercise before we leave so they don't feel all pent up. And they're always anxious about where we're going, and they're watching us leave, and then they're trying to get out the fence. Well, if they've run a little bit before we leave, they're not going to be as eager to get out the fence. They're going to be a little bit more tuckered. I'm redeeming the time by not spending as much time doing those things that I like to normally do because I need to still make my appointment. And in that context, Paul is telling us that, well, it's late. In Earth's history, it's late. And there are some things that we need to just kind of leave out. We just don't have time for them anymore because we've got to redeem things. We've got to get back on track with where we need to be. And a lot of that has to do with our personal character development, with where we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's going to be discussing here in these next few verses. He's going to be talking about some things we can leave out of our life and things we can pull into our life that can help us to get on track with Jesus and, in a sense, Redeem the time. Let's pray together as we get started. Father in heaven, I just want to again pause in your presence. I want to thank you for this church, for the fellowship that we have, for the praise that we have, for each person that's here, those that are visiting. I want to thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. I want to thank you that you promised to send that gift to us in our time of need. And we especially pray for that gift right now. And you've told us when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And also the Holy Spirit will comfort us. And you've told us that the Holy Spirit is going to lead us into truth. And we need all of that this morning. But the most important thing you've told us about the Holy Spirit is that when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus, you told us the Holy Spirit's not going to talk about 
himself, he's going to talk about you. The Holy Spirit is going to testify of Jesus, and we want to see Jesus right now as we open the Word. So guide us and gift us in all these areas, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5 begins with verse 1. That's normally where a new chapter begins, right? Verse 1. Let me just get my glasses on here. Be ye therefore, therefore, points to what has happened in the previous verses, what Paul has said in the previous verses. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love, verse 2, as Christ has loved us, and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. So, the therefore in this particular verse is talking about what he just said in the previous verse. Chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And, and sometimes that can be really difficult. Reese was with us in... California, Grand Terrace, as I mentioned this last weekend, and we are in a in a, a corner lot. That's where her father's house is. It's in a corner lot, and because of the way it's situated, the neighbor right next to us is like right next to us. Like we'll just say that this is the the fence, and then it comes into the patio, and right where I'm standing is about where the window is to the bedroom that Reese and I stayed in. And we have the window open at night because we like some nice cool air. And the neighbors have a sliding door, so they're about, I'd say, this distance from us when they come out their sliding door. And they sit there, and they smoke weed, and they drink, and they talk. And at that particular time of the evening, it was 12 midnight, they were cursing and talking and crying. And some great calamity had taken place in their lives, one of their lives. And so they were going, they were just going on about it. And I was laying there in bed trying to sleep with the light coming in and the voices coming in and the vulgarity coming in. And I finally got up and I said, hey, out the window. And they couldn't hear me because it was so loud. And I said, hey. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you was not on my agenda at that moment. I said, could you be quiet, please? We're trying to sleep. And one of the guys said, this is our property. We're on our property. And I felt like saying, yeah, but your voices aren't. Your voices are in my bedroom. (laughs) They're right here with me. But I didn't say anything. And then the other guy said, no, 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 let's, we'll, let's go inside, let's go inside. And he encouraged the other guy to go inside. They went inside, and I went back to sleep. And 30 minutes later, they were back outside doing the same thing, and I just said, forget it. Forgive as Christ has forgiven us. We are called to a standard that goes way beyond anything that this world has to offer in the way that we relate to people. What was really interesting is the last night we were there, Reese wasn't there at the time, John and I were there, and... It was our last night. It was Wednesday night. We were really pushing it. Like, we wanted to get the, everything done that we could get done. And so we were, we were kind of forgot about what time it was. And we were out there working. And I had a, a metal closet rod that I needed to cut. And whenever I asked to cut stuff like that, John always says, the sawzall. And I hate sawzall. 
I don't like the sawzall because the sawzall just shakes and goes all over the place and I'm trying to cut this metal rod and it makes a lot of noise and as I get done cutting this metal rod, there's a big guy coming out of the sliding window with his wife right behind him and he says, how long are you guys going to be working tonight? And I said, or he said, how long are you going to be working? Are you going to be working late? And I said, no, because I had no idea what time it was. We're not going to be working late. We're, you know, we're going to, he said, good, because we have people trying to sleep over here. So it kind of turned, you know, the tables kind of turned. And at that point, I was very tempted. So I went into the house and I was like, John, <laughs> this is our chance, you know, to get even with these guys, right? To make a lot of noise and keep them up. I said, what time is it? He says, 11.30. I said, oh, it's 11.30. I had no idea. No wonder he wants us to be quiet. We've got an air compressor going out here. We've got a sawzall going out here. We've got a table saw, not a table saw, but a chop saw going out here. And it's 11.30 at night. And John and I said, yeah, we need to pack it up. We need to relate to other people, not the way they relate to us. We need to be aware of how we impact our neighbors and people around us and not be wanting to get even. We need to be tender-hearted. We need to be forgiving as God has forgiven us. Not as other people treat us, but the way God has treated us. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Be therefore followers of God. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself a sacrifice, an offering and a sacrifice. I really love this because what Paul is doing here is he's using two terms to denote two types of salvation that we have in Jesus. He's using sanctuary language, an offering and a sacrifice. Now, the sacrifice is what we, what we understand that Christ did on Calvary. He sacrificed himself. He spilt his blood. And that is primor- primarily for the forgiveness of our sins. But the offering is something else. In the Greek, the offering here does not denote sacrifice. It doesn't denote the spilling of blood. The, the offering here denotes the life of Christ. And sometimes I think as Christians we forget that. We, we forget that we're not just saved by the death of Christ, we're also saved by the life of Christ. His perfect, complete life is what we need to stand in our place because we aren't perfect and complete. So we have to have the offering and the sacrifice. And when we have the offering and the sacrifice of Jesus, we have the whole package. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood, many times we think about Calvary, but we've got to remember the Bible teaches us that there's life in the blood. The blood doesn't just denote death, it also denotes life. So the blood of Christ represents his life, his perfect life that he lived, because we needed that, we need that for our record in heaven, and his death, satisfying the penalty of our sins and our consequences. We have to have his perfect life and we have to have his death. We have to have both. We have to have the offering and we have to have the sacrifice. And Paul never lets us forget that. When he gets to the end of his life, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I am the chief of sinners. What? But Paul, you've lived this perfect life and, and you've done so much for Jesus and you've been stoned and you've been shipwrecked and you've been beaten and, and surely you're not the chief of sinners. Not the chief. Maybe you're like down there somewhere like, but you're not the chief, right? No, he would never let us or anyone else forget that his record was never going to replace the perfect record of Jesus Christ. That our salvation is in Jesus. 
And when we understand that, when we understand that we're saved by his perfect life as well as his death, then Paul t- can, we can continue with Paul to, to know what he's saying next. So with that in mind, let's continue on in verse 3. But, verse 3, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints. Why? Is Paul saying that you shouldn't do these things because if you want to be saved, these are the things you need to do in order to get saved? No, he's saying because Jesus Christ is your substitute and surety, because he's your offering and your sacrifice, don't live this way (laughs) because of what he's done for you. Live differently. Live a life that would be in harmony with the fact that you appreciate everything he's done for you. You can't do it. There's no way you can save yourselves, but you can live in such a way that would honor Jesus. So because of this, don't let, verse 4, filthiness or foolish talking or jesting, which is not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. I want to just pause here for a second because I've always struggled with this verse. I've always felt like, oh, James, you know, you've got to be careful with humor. Because my wife will tell you that when she first met me, she met me in a setting of, I'm the teacher, she's the student. It was a classroom setting. And when I preach, when I teach, I don't smile enough, I don't think. And yet, in my personal life, I am very much into humor. And I believe that it's important for us to have that in our lives. My mom used to tell me, if God didn't have a sense of humor, he wouldn't have made the hippopotamus. And yet I read this, I'm thinking jesting, but I'm, I, I did a study on this and I realized that this word jesting means vulgar conversation. That's the implication here. And it's in the context, it's in the company of fornication, it's in the company of covetousness, it's in the company of uncleanness, it's in the company of, of filthiness. That's the company in which, you know how it is, guys just have this vulgar conversation that, that they will have. People just have this vulgar conversation they will have. The words that come out of us, sometimes these, you know, I won't even mention what they are, but what we experienced the other night... In that Grand Terrace home, they're just talking, and this stuff just comes out. And I'm, I'm in airports now, I'm planes now, I'm, I'm, I'm in public areas now, and it's just continually coming out. I went to the DMV a few weeks ago, and as I walked in, this lady and her mom walked out, and it was just blah, 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 blah. I was like, I wonder who they were, you know. And then as I was waiting, I was up toward the front waiting eagerly to go up, and I was listening to the different interactions that people have, and I was realizing, oh, that's probably the person that those two ladies had to deal with. I hope I don't get that person, which I didn't, because I had some difficult things I needed to work through, and the guy that I got was very easy. But we just, we go through trials, we go through difficulties in life, and these words just come out of our mouths. And sometimes we have sanctified words that come out of our mouths. They're not quite as bad as those words, but, but they're related and Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't, don't use that kind of language. Why? Is he saying that you shouldn't use that kind of language because if you use that kind of language, you're going to be lost? No, he's saying that Jesus Christ has saved you. He's lived and died for you. So live as though that is the case. Don't try to earn through your works what Christ has done for you. You can never do that. But let everything he's done for you have its impact on your life and change you and transform you. And by the way, if you do fail, if you do fall short, if you do come, become convicted, of, you've got the life and death of Jesus. That's what he's buffeting this with. That's what he's putting as a foundation for us. 
For this, you know, verse 5, that no whoremonger, that actually means a male prostitute. So no prostitute, no unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. So Paul is saying here, you've been saved by Jesus. You've been saved by his life. You've been saved by his death. So it's time to turn away from these things that don't actually lead you into the kingdom of heaven because to live that way is to be totally contradicting what Jesus Christ has gifted you in his life and death. It's going in a completely different direction. Live as though Christ is your Savior. Don't let men deceive you, verse 6, with vain words. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So there is this consequence to the life that we live in the direction that we can take. There is this consequence that God is warning us against through the writings of Paul. He's saying there's, there's this wrath that comes down and, and, and there's, there's um, this, this indignation that God has against those things. Why? Well, because they're hurtful. They're painful. They, they hurt other people. People are affected by covetousness and uncleanness and whoremongering and, and all of these, these characteristics that Paul is talking about. People are affected by that. Prostitution and, and um, slave trade and, um, you know, when we were in South Africa recently, we were told about Durban and about Cape Town. And we were in Joburg or just outside of Joburg. And Joburg wasn't as bad as these other places, but these other places, you know, they, they will kidnap, they will pull over cars that are stopped at a stop sign, they'll, they'll sometimes shoot the people, they'll take kids, they'll kidnap them, they'll put them into, into, uh, um, you know, prostitution rings and, and, you know, people are just being used and abused all over the world. And we don't serve a God who's indifferent to that. We serve a God who's upset with that, who's angry about that, who, who wants to do something about that. We serve a God who wants to stop that. For these reasons, for, for all of this uncleanness and, and prostitution and slave trade and all the different things that are happening, the wrath of God is coming down. He's not happy with this, and we shouldn't be either. But the reason why there's so much of this is because we have this convenient little thing, this little screen, this little phone, this little way of accessing all of that stuff. And sometimes we access all of that stuff in our Western world. We don't see the dirty, filthy stuff that takes place in order to get that on the screen, but we access it. We don't see people's lives torn apart and, and the kids and the children and the parents hurt and, and destroyed by all this, but we access it. And we need to think about What's happening when we get into the media and we're distracted in that kind of stuff? We need, to, we need to get our minds and our hearts back to the walk that Christ, we have with Christ. In verse 7, he says, Do not, therefore, partake with them. Don't do it. Don't partake with them of all this stuff. Then what should we do? Well, it says in verse 8, For you were sometimes in darkness, but now you're in the light. Walk as children in the light. Yeah, we sometimes did that stuff, but we don't do it anymore. We want to be in the light. We want to walk in the light. For the fruit of the Spirit, verse 9, is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. If you have a question about something, if you're not sure about something, test it, prove it. Ask God to tell you if this is not too far to the edge of darkness and pull away from it and focus and stay focused on the light. 
have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. How do you reprove the unfruitful works of darkness? By living in the light. By living in the light. It's the greatest reproof you can give to the unfruitful works of darkness. When those people come out on the porch and they say, hey, how long are you guys going to be working? We live in light and we say, whoa, it's 1130. We're not going to work anymore. We're going to put everything away right now. And they didn't hear another sound out of us. Unlike what they did with us, whereas they went inside and came back out again. And 30 minutes later, they were doing the same thing all over again. We're not living like that. We're going to walk in the light. We're going to live in the light. But we're still going to be tempted to live like that. I can't tell you there wasn't something inside me when I talked to John that said, what do you think, John? <laughs> Should we give him a few more hours of this? Because we're ready to go till 1 or 2 in the morning because we were pumped up because we knew we were leaving the next day. And both of us understood, both of us recognized that's the carnal nature, that's the fleshly nature. We don't have to deny that we're tempted. We don't have to deny that that is there, but we do have to deny it by the grace of God. And why not? The battle is there, but it's a battle to be won. And God wants to give us that victory over everything all the time. And then if we don't have it, if we fail, we've got a backup. <laughs> we've got a perfect life and a perfect death. We've got a surety and a substitute. We've got a Savior, Jesus Christ. So everything is for us and nothing is against us. But I want you to just look at these two words here, these two verses here again. Verse 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather approve them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Wow. It's a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. You know, I really was interested in this verse. It's a verse that I reference many times to people when we talk about what's being done in the world, when we talk about the difficulty that we have in, for example, being exposed to these things. My wife and I were just um, counseling with a couple and... Um, she was a little reluctant to tell us that um, she had had an experience recently where she was was driving with a family member, and in the context of that experience, um, she the family member told her about an incident that happened where a woman. I'm not going to tell you the incident. I don't want to put it in your mind. But it was a bad thing that happened to this woman, and her mom. Her, the family member, her mom, tells her stuff like this all the time. And my wife was saying, yeah, my dad used to tell me, you know, be careful because this could happen and this could happen and that could happen. And, and, and she basically said that what happened basically was that that filled her with anxiety. And for the next few days or weeks, she was locking herself in her house. She didn't want to go anywhere. She wanted to get a gun. She wanted to have some pepper spray. She was afraid of every noise that took place, all because of this incident that happened somewhere else, but was related to her verbally. And now it was in her brain. And now she's all anxious about it. And she's experiencing it. I think that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, you know what? We shouldn't even talk about that stuff. Because when you talk about that stuff, it puts fear and anxiety into our hearts and minds. We shouldn't even talk about the things. And that's why I tell people, don't even waste your time on the news. Don't even waste your time on it. You'll know what's happening. You'll know what's going on. But filling your brain with all this garbage, like, it's just going to fill you with anxiety. It's just going to fill you with fear. It's just going to fill you with trepidation. I mean, we, and we live in a society today where we know everything that's going on in every country in the world. I mean, you can turn on the news and you can find out 
we, before, you know, all this media explosion, we barely knew. You'd have to get a newspaper and you'd find somewhere. Now we can just check into everything. And I think it's just overwhelming for us. Sherry uh, was sharing uh, at our Friday night supper last night an article in the Gleaner that was talking about our young people and the anxiety they have, our kids and the anxiety they have. And the article was saying the reason why they have this anxiety is because they are able to, to basically know about everything that's going on in the world. It's just overwhelming. It's just too much. It's too much. And here the Bible is telling us we shouldn't have anything to do with it. We shouldn't even talk about it. Because it's a shame. And that word shame there is talking about the fact that it's not good for us. It actually impacts us in a negative way. It's a shame even to talk about those things which are done of them in secret. But verse 13, all things are reproved. All things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatever doth make manifest is light. So, so the light is what we need to focus on. And if there's anything that needs to be brought up or exposed, it'll be exposed by the light. We don't need to expose darkness by talking about darkness. We need to focus on the light. Keep your focus on the light. Keep your focus on Jesus. Make that the thing that you emphasize. Wherefore, he says, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. Wake up. Sometimes I feel like we're in a daze, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of, kind of doing this thing, you know, where we, we, we come to church and we, you know, sit in Sabbath school and we do the worship time and we listen to the pastor and we have our fellowship meal and then we leave and things just keep going the same way through the week. Nothing really changes. We, we watch the news and we dwell upon those things that are in darkness and we talk about those things that are in darkness. I don't know how many of you last week, how much time you devoted to talking about stuff which was darkness, whether it was, you know, political news or crime news or whatever it was. Think about how much time you spent talking about things that were dark. And then we just keep the same process going week after week, month after month, year after year. Wake up, Paul said. Wake up. Stop focusing on the darkness and start focusing on the light. Start focusing on Jesus. And your whole life's going to change. You're going to see fear go out the window because what the Bible says is that perfect love casts out what, how much fear? All fear. It's gone. And I would say to you, if you have some fear in your life, it probably is because, I know with me it's because, I'm not allowing all the light to come in and all the love to come in that I need to have in my heart and in my life. I'm dwelling on the darkness. One of the things that we had to do when we were down in California this last time was we had to go to Home Depot. I can't tell you how many times I went to Home Depot and I've just got, I could tell you, I've got probably, I had about, I'd say 24 to 30 receipts from Home Depot whether I was picking up stuff or returning stuff. And this time our our returning stuff was quite big. I'm smiling at John because he knows why that is. I'm not going to tell anyone else. But, um, Home Depot, Home Depot, Home Depot, Home Depot. And, and the, the, the aisle, the front aisle where you walk from the entrance to the exit where you pay, that front aisle right there in Home Depot has been filled for the last two weeks with Halloween stuff. And I'm not talking about, you know, casual Halloween stuff. I'm talking about skeletons and a dragon and ghosts and stuff that moves, life-size stuff that, and they've got it all going, boo, and all, all that stuff. And I'm going by that, I'm going by that, I'm going by that. And I was just, I'm just thinking in my mind, this is the kind of darkness that is natural to society today. 
And you go around and you look at all the homes and they've got all this stuff and it's just dark. And I was working at the house and there was this road, right? These windows that we look out, there's this road right there. And as Halloween starts, there's this kid walking down the road. He's got a knife in his hand. He's got blood all over him. And he's going, ah, like that. And I'm thinking, is that real? Or what is that? Oh, it's Halloween. It's just normal stuff. Halloween has become one of the most popular holidays that we have. It's not even a holiday. You don't take Halloween off, but, but people prepare for it. That stores prepare for it weeks ahead of time. And we got all this, you know, all these kids that we're filling with all these images. And God is saying in his word, just don't even go there. Don't even focus on that. Focus on the light. And then he says, verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly, straightly. That's what the word circumspect, be straight. Have a straight walk. Don't deviate back. And stay, stay focused. And I would say that means keep your eyes on Jesus. Follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Keep your focus on Christ. Don't be foolish. Be wise. Redeeming the time because the days are very evil. And that's the focus right there. Redeeming the time. We don't have time to dwell in the darkness. We don't have time to recover from dwelling in the darkness. Because what happens when we dwell in the darkness is it affects us. And then we have to recover from that. We don't have time for that. We don't have time to get out of step with Jesus, to get out of sync with Jesus. We need to stay focused on Christ. Get into the Word. Stay focused on Jesus. Well, how can we do this? Well, here's one way you can do this. Continuing on, verse 17. Wherefore, be not unwise, but be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Don't be unwise in understanding what God's will is. That's one way you can do this. Figure out what God wants you to do. Pray about it. Seek it. Every one of you has a place. Nominating committee continues this next week, and you'll be getting calls from us. Think about what God wants you to do. Don't think, I don't have time for that. If you've been dwelling in darkness, if you've been doing things that that aren't profitable for you and for others, then it's time maybe to give that time up, let go of that, and step into something you can do that's light, that's positive, that's for the church. Some kind of a position that you can occupy that can actually support and encourage the body of Christ and what we're doing to reach out to our community. Think and pray about that. Many of you have stepped up, and I'm so thankful for that. And there's there's others. There's there's a lot of things that that we can do as a church to grow each other and to it, to to bring a light in this community to our to our neighbors and friends. And then he says here, and I love these last two verses. These are so powerful. Verse eighteen: Be not drunk with wine, alcohol, wherein is excess but be filled with the Spirit. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you know this. But being filled with the Spirit is very similar to being drunk with wine and alcohol. When people drink, they get happy. When people drink, they act differently. They lose inhibition. And they do things they wouldn't normally do. And that's exactly what God is saying is going to happen to you when you're filled with the Spirit. In fact, when God's people were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the people that they were speaking to said, these guys are drunk. And Peter said, no, 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 we're not drunk. We're filled with the Spirit. We're filled with the joy. We're filled with happiness. And we're acting like we're drunk. But we're drunk with the Spirit of God and we're speaking. Notice what it says here. Here's the next thing. Here's one of the indicators of being filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to yourselves. When people speak to themselves, we think, man, those guys are 
There's something wrong there. And there, and there could be. They're very, very, because Satan wants to counterfeit the work of the Holy Spirit. And so there are a lot of people who are mentally unstable and they speak to themselves. But then there's this thing that God is saying where when you're filled with the Spirit, you're actually going to speak to yourself. And that happens to me all the time. I'm driving in my car and I catch myself speaking to myself. Uh, let me add, let me add the rest of this verse. Speaking to yourself, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seek, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's what I find myself doing. And I get to a light and I realize that there could be people that notice that I'm speaking to myself or singing to myself. But if, in my car, if I'm in my car, I'm really happy now. If I'm in my car, I have these really dark windows. You can't see in. It, we, Reese and I pulled into the, to the parking lot today, the church parking lot today, and there was Sandy. And, and as we were pulling in this way with our dark windows facing her, she waved at us and we waved back. And she couldn't see us. And we said, oh, that's right. She can't see us. So you have to turn to the front windshield so that, you know, they can see you and you can see them. And I kind of like that in a sense because when I'm driving, I do a lot of speaking to myself. I do. Because I feel safe. Because I can't, I can't carry a tune like my daughter can carry a tune. I can't sing my, like my daughter can sing. And so, so when I'm in a, a group of people, it's hard for me to want to sing. Now, John and I will sing a lot when we're working. And I don't mind that he's off tune and he doesn't mind that I'm off tune. We're, we're, we're in agreement. And so we can just sing and sing and sing. But, but when we're singing away and people start, the kids to get out of school and they start walking by, then we kind of, you know, when someone can hear us, we kind of, but when I'm in my car and those windows are up and no one can see me, I'm just, I'm just speaking to myself in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. And that, that is what Paul is saying here. That's why praise is so important. God is calling us to speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I want to challenge you. Take a hymn. Take a song. Take something that you've heard or that you enjoy singing and memorize it. This week, memorize it. Get a hymn, get a song, get something that you, and memorize it. What I've been doing lately is I've been taking lyrics of the songs that we sing here, whether they're in the hymnal or whether they're in, uh, you know, on the internet, and I grab those lyrics. Cause, and this morning I was reading lyrics from a song I really like, and I said, you know, I listen to that song, but I, there's one line I don't understand. I said, I gotta find those lyrics. So, so I went and found those lyrics, and I want to share them with you because they're so powerful. I'm not going to share with you all the lyrics, but I'm just going to share with you. Well, maybe I don't have it anymore. Yeah, here it is. I didn't understand this part, and it, it goes like this. I used to play the victim singing, take these chains from me, but they have long been broken and I, I was free and would not leave. Somehow I got too comfortable locked up here in this prison that I missed the doors wide open, more like ripped off of its hinges. And I love that because these words are saying basically that God has not just opened the doors of the prison house of our habits and all of our unchristlikeness. He's not just open. He's ripped the doors off their hinges. And what that means is that, according to God, those doors can't be closed anymore because they're gone. We can't be imprisoned anymore because he took the doors and he ripped them off their hinges. They're gone. And I love that. 
I love the point that that song is making, and I really, I really believe that that's what we need to do. We need to be thinking about and meditating on spiritual songs and hymns, memorizing them. Because, you know, if we don't do that, we're just going to listen to the radio. And we're going to listen to all that stuff, you know, whatever it is that someone wants to sing. And I think we need music. And Satan will provide it for us if we don't take what God wants to provide for us. Satan will provide us the music he wants. And a lot of it can be almost good enough, but not quite. The last minute, it kind of takes a, it kind of diverts us. We want to get into the spiritual songs, and we want to be drunk, in a sense, with spiritual songs, meaning that we want to be free to act and do things that we wouldn't normally do, understand, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't normally do because we're kind of like hemmed into this world where people think we're kind of acting strangely, you know, if we're singing and we're happy and we're positive. And I know this because, you know, like I've traveled so much, as soon as I get onto that airplane, it's like you sit down, you don't talk to the person next to you, you're just quiet, you sit in your seat, you behave, and all of a sudden someone will be talking, you're like, who is that person? And usually it's a kid. Because they're just free and they're uninhibited and they're just talking and they're just whatever. So little children give us an example of how we should behave, how we should act. We just need to talk and communicate and be into spiritual things. Just communicating the spiritual things. Giving thanks, verse 20, always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's Paul's burden for us. That we would make this transition, that we would understand what God has done for us. He would understand the offering, his perfect life, and the sacrifice, his perfect death. And that would encourage us to walk differently than the rest of the world walks. And not to dwell in darkness, but to dwell in light. And to redeem the time. Because the days are evil, and we don't need all of that darkness coming in. We want to focus on Jesus and encourage ourselves, be be filled with the Spirit so so that we're not drunk with alcohol because what alcohol does what prescription drugs do what other drugs do is they help to numb the pain and if we if we don't get away from the darkness we're going to need that to numb the pain so paul is saying don't go to the world don't go to pharmaceutical don't go to all that stuff to numb the pain fill yourself with spiritual songs and hymns and that will fill yourself with joy and that will take care of that will be a balm of healing for yourself give thanks to the lord always and stay focused on jesus stay focused on the light Give it a try. Let God work in you in this way this next week. Don't just leave church and click back into the way things are. Divert from the way things have been, the way things are, and take a different path this next week. Give God more time than you've given him before, more energy than you've given him before. Let him come in in a very powerful way, and it's going to change your life. You'll never be the same again because you'll taste something that is better than anything the world has to offer, and you'll never want to go back. There'll be times when you may slip up. There'll be times when you may, but you'll say, well, you know what? This doesn't taste the same anymore. I love what God has for me, and that's where I want to be. That's where I want to walk. That's where I want to dwell. How many of you this morning want to say yes? I want to say, darkness out, light in. Darkness out, light in. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you again for this opportunity we have just to renew our hearts with the light and the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be reminded through your Holy Spirit that those things that are dark are unwelcome in the Christian life. 
that we don't want them anymore, that we want the doors open and ripped off their hinges, and we want all of that displaced with the love and the light of Jesus Christ. And Father, this morning, or this afternoon, there are many of us, probably all of us, that have a specific thing that we struggle with. It might be evil thoughts, it might be depression, it might be appetite and lust. It might be a root of bitterness that we're harboring in relation to somebody else. It might just be a desire we have for the things of this world that are not really good for us, but we don't know how to say no. And so in this context right now, as we're lifting our hearts to you, as we're reading the words of Paul, as we're recognizing what you want to do for us and the changes you want to make, we want to give that to you. We want to ask that you'll take it from us and that you'll do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Be our Savior. Be our Redeemer. Remove the doors. Remove them from their hinges and set us free. Help us to be drunk with the Spirit, filled with with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs for this next week and onward. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ and let everyone say, Amen.